We believe we're on a very important mission to help patients in need. And a lot of investors invest just to make a buck, but pretty much all of our investors have a set of values um, that drive them to invest in certain companies. And we do get a lot of interest from people who recognize the social component of what we do. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Opening Bell podcast at NZX. My name is Doug Vrame, and I'm here with Julia Jones from NZX. And today we're pleased to welcome Dr. Peter Meinches, the CEO of Pacific Edge. And we're, we'll learn more about the company. Talk to Pete. So welcome and, and thanks for being here. Thanks very much, Doug. Pleasure to be here. We know Pacific Edge well over the years, and, and David Darling has done a really good job explaining the company uh, and some of the things you do in our very exciting and cool and, and game-changing. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what Pacific Edge does? I did a PhD in microbiology many, many years ago, so I'm a scientist by training. Um, but since finishing as a scientist, I spent most of my life um, in commercial roles, um, initially for an Auckland-based company called Biomatters, um, subsequently moving to the United States, working for a Hungarian-headquartered company called Omixon. And Omixon make... Uh, an HLA typing diagnostic test, which is something that's used to determine whether organs can be transplanted. They, uh, you, wow. you do the tissue typing before the organ transplant to see whether the donor and the recipient are a match. And that's how I ended up in clinical diagnostics. I subsequently worked for a company that does transplant rejection testing. And that company was called Transplant Genomics. And the underlying technology at Transplant Genomics is extremely similar to the technology that we have at uh, Pacific Edge. And so from a technology value proposition perspective, it was relatively easy to move from the transplant world into uh, the oncology diagnostics world. And uh, you know that kind of got me excited about the opportunity to come back to New Zealand um, for a role like this. And so what Pacific Edge specialize in is a bladder cancer diagnostic, um, trying to detect bladder cancer as early as possible um, and so we have, uh, we evaluate patients that have presented with blood in the urine um, and we call that hematuria evaluation. And we also have a test that is used for after a patient has had an operation, a surgical operation to remove the tumor to test whether there's any recurrence of the disease, um, in a surveillance setting for the, for patients. So that's the kind of clinical value. And all of that's done using uh, what's called gene expression profiles, and uh, and that is a technology that I've, I've used at prior companies. Interesting. Um, and now you've been you've been CEO uh, Pacific Edge for coming up on a year now. And obviously to have that uh, role in the background you just described or the, the, the ability to, to traffic in those types of um, topics. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into the, this field of science and, and what, have, what have you studied and what were your interests in kind of that drove you to all this? My background is, of course, as a scientist, and I think at one point I, I did imagine myself as a career academic answering fundamental questions. Um, but you know, since leaving uh, academia, I focused very much commercially and taking the opportunity to, to work with different communities of customers um, to, to help them become aware of the benefits of new technologies. So at Biomatters, um, we built software that helped people analyze next generation sequencing data. And so that was helping researchers analyze a new complicated form of data that they didn't understand when it was new. Um, that same data actually underpinned the test that we developed and, uh, and created the first commercial next-generation sequencing-based um, HLA typing diagnostic at Omixon. 
And everybody was terrified of the technology. So we had the opportunity to reset the narrative, tell them that it was not a, a scary technology, that we had the software and the, and the assay component to, to create a test that was really easy to use. And then similarly, similarly at Transplant Genomics, we wanted to change the, the paradigm for, for treatment for patients that had been the recipient of a kidney transplant. And there are certain standard clinical ways in which that's diagnosed, and many of them are late indicators that you have a problem. And so the, the test that we had at Transplant Genomics, uh, called TrueGraph at the time that I worked there and called OmniGraph now, um, is a test that can detect subclinical rejection before there are other clinical signs that it's happening. And that's similar to what we do at Pacific Edge, um, where we detect bladder cancer early, um, where other tests might, uh, might miss it, um, or uh, you know, in a, in a post-treatment um, setting, as I, as I mentioned earlier. It was funny as I was um, cyber stalking you yesterday because I'm um, just in love with everything this company's doing. Just think it's amazing. Uh, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, I really want to ask him what it's like to be the CEO of a company that saves lives. But it sounds like that's what you've always done. This is you've always been connected to something that actually relates to saving human lives. Uh, I guess the from the time I moved into transplant, that's true. I think you know the research um, that people were doing with our software probably less directly connected to saving lives. Um, but anything that helps with tissue matching for to get better transplant outcomes yeah. uh, means the organ would live longer inside the individual um, that is receiving the organ. Um, if you can limit rejection to help inform how someone would change the um, the anti-rejection drug regime, for example, you know that that helps to save lives. And clearly, here, um, early detection um, or detection of recurrent disease um, in bladder cancer uh, should save lives. Very cool. So there's there's the technical scientific part of it, which is amazing. But then the the flip side is you're running a business and this type of company with uh, medical diagnostics. There's a lot of ups and downs and ebbs and flows to the market. How do you um, manage that in terms of employees and your your morale at the company when there are so many unknown things you don't have control of in terms of what's happening in the U.S. medical market and these things? How do you kind of navigate those waters and, and keep keep charging ahead? A big part of the answer is is almost certainly just to keep a steady hand um, and a steady head um, you know, when you're making decisions, you know, when, there, when there are a lot of unknown unknowns. And absolutely, we are pioneering a test that facilitates behavior change on behalf of uh, urologists and if when you're when you're trying to do something that involves somebody changing a behavior they may have had for 20 or 30 years um, you're going to expect some level of pushback um, but consequently that's that's when you show up with receipts so to speak um, and receipts in in that sense means uh, showing up with clinical evidence and so we have a very strong clinical evidence generation program that we rely on um, to help convince physicians and clinicians that this is uh, this is a technology that they should adopt for the benefit of patients. Interesting. Very cool. Um, I was, look, I actually went through and cyber stalked a company a lot too. And there were some things that really stuck out for me in particular in your vision and values. And, you know, when you have the words early detection, improve people's lives, um, the other one was clinically meaningful difference. You know, these were really powerful words. You know, what is what is the whole background around this? I'd probably fall back on the, the behavior change that I was just talking about. And, you know, we need to be generating extraordinary amounts of clinical evidence to drive behavior change because what we have is a technology that people don't necessarily understand. Molecular diagnostics, yeah. it's invisible. Um, the current technology for diagnosing the presence of a bladder cancer tumor 
is a cystoscopy, which is basically a camera that can look and can allow the physician to see that there is a tumor there. And we're actually able to tell you that you may have a problem even before the tumor is visible or even after you've cut it out and there might be some residual disease. We're developing tools that can do that. And so, you know, the, uh, to some people that's quite confronting because yeah. I can't see it. Is it really there? How reliable can this technology be? And that's where we have a very important role to educate that actually molecular diagnostics are very, very reliable and we generate an extraordinary amount of clinical validity and clinical utility evidence to demonstrate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved that clinically meaningful difference and, and what my perception of that was that it makes a difference early. So then it empowers people to get the treatment. It might be less evasive treatment. You know, when you think of what your technology can save a health system and the long term, it, it must be exponential. Yeah, and, and while, um, you know, while the, the clinical side of things is very specific about the kind of benefits benefits to patients and the benefits to hospitals and even the benefits to, to systems um, that include like the insurance to cover the, the costs of these yep. things, there's a general sense in which it's kind of obvious, right? If you catch it early, you're going to have more treatment options available to the physician um, and you're going to, uh, you're going to you know, fairly obviously improve outcomes. And of course, we still have to do the studies to show that that's true, um, but it's fairly intuitive that if you catch cancer early, you're, you're going to be able to um, create better outcomes for patients. That's awesome. And it's obviously been recognized by the tech community in New Zealand. You've won a number of awards. Um, I mean, it's, is there an advantage to being in New Zealand? Is there an advantage to creating this tech in New Zealand? So there are, there are several advantages um, for being in New Zealand or in Dunedin specifically, and that is, you know, we are relatively small and quite closely, uh, we have good relationships with uh, our university, and, and that's important. We have the ability to attract top-tier graduates to come and work for the company, and that provides us with an advantage on the scientific side. It is also important to acknowledge that there's a lot of commercial expertise that is not easy to get uh, in New Zealand, um, but that's why we do also have uh, a U.S. business unit that's focused predominantly on the commercial uh, needs of that market. And so recognizing that is an, is an important component of success as well. That's awesome. And, and I guess, do you have partnerships as well in this to make sure that you can kind of connect in with other organizations? I guess um, the university is one big one. So we have we have lots of contractors and, awesome. and lots of consultants uh, that help us out with uh, you know on all manner of things from like legal compliance uh, in the United States, yep. um, you know uh, through to investor relations and, and various other things here in New Zealand. So there are a lot of lot of collaborators um, and consultants that we do work with, um, and some of those partnerships are, are, are deeper than others. Some of them are really quite embedded in the company, um, and other others of those are a little bit more uh, peripheral, just depending on the nature of the business or part of the business they support and what so what's next for innovation like what what's what's coming next that you can talk about so there's always something um in the pipeline I and mean, we set aside a healthy degree of our budget to to do two primary things um one is improve current products and the other is to uh, to develop new products the way that we think about it um, is about addressing an unmet clinical need and that's essentially established by the market and uh, Pacific Edge has had uh, clinical and scientific advisory boards in the past. Um, they've been slightly underutilized, so we're re-establishing those to make sure that we are identifying um, carefully the unmet clinical need for new products. And once we know uh, what that is, we then say, look, of the available technologies, what's the best way to address that 
clinical need. And then we prototype and we, we uh, you know, do market research to understand um, if we created a theoretical product that did X, Y, Z, would you buy it? Um, and so you, you run those kinds of market research studies um, using, you know, where, where the per- people you're researching are physicians who would order, be ordering the yeah. test for patients to understand whether or not you've got it, you, you really have hit the nail on the head with the unmet need. Um, and then s- slowly build that into a product. Then you determine its analytical validity, which is the, the performance characteristics of the test. Yeah. And then after that, you move into clinical development um, to develop its clinical validity and clinical utility, um, which ultimately gets you, um, you know, it gets uh, insurers to pay for the test and guidelines committees to recommend the tests to, for example, all urologists. So as you, as you look forward to the next five or 10 years, are those the areas that, that make you the most excited about the growth of Pacific Edge? And is that where you think some of the um, uh, additional revenue will come from and, and business lines out of those types of research and, and product development? Is, or is it kind of the, the existing business you've got? So uh, it's a great question. Um, we are laser focused on the current products and the commercialization of those right now in terms of our, our short-term objectives and uh, medium-term objectives. Uh, but it is also very important to the business to build a wider pipe. Yeah. We recently announced a, a couple of months ago a study called Monster, um, and uh, we like to give nicknames. Names. We, yeah, we give nicknames to all <laughs> of our, our studies. Um, we have a lobster and a monster, um, and the monster is uh, you know just very much in its early stage, working with Canterbury uh, Health System. Uh, to see whether we can te- detect residual disease, which is different from recurrence of disease. And uh, if it's not going too much into the weeds, the difference is residual disease is disease that you may not have successfully cut out, whereas yep. recurrent disease is, is a new tumor. And our current products can find recurrent disease, but can't find residual disease. And so that's an unmet need that we've identified and we'd like to build a product for that. Um, but it's you know it's in its early stages and it's, it's really just announced and, um, a couple of months ago and trying to get samples to figure it all out. Massive though. It sounds like these, you know, I I wonder, you know, as a non-scientist or a layman, you know, I don't think I appreciate the lead time to get to something. I mean, this sounds like a big, you know, lots of hands touch it, lots of beautiful brains touch it, um, but it sounds like a long time to actually have an idea or find a gap to actually get it to market. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there is no... There's no hard and fast number uh, in terms of you know how many patients you might need to enroll in a particular clinical study. The statisticians usually tell us it's like we'll say here's a here's a product that we've got. Yeah. We'd like to uh, d- we, here's the design of a clinical study that we'd like to run. How many patients are we going to need to enroll in that study to achieve the statistical wow. significance that will allow us to say this is really clinically useful? And so they give us that number, whether it's 500 or 900 or 2,000 or whatever. And then once we know that number, we then know how long it's going to take. And so uh, it can, you know, there are definitely clinical studies that we have that have taken multiple years already. Um, and an average one would probably be around five years because uh, you also have to analyze the data once it comes off yeah. and then check if it actually really did support, uh, you know, the initial. And is it statistically uh, relevant? And is it all those things that you have to, then you check the checking and then it's, yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, amazing. ultimately we get it peer reviewed uh, and published. And, and that's usually the, the kind of check mark that we did a good job. Uh, and that is what, um, what guidelines committees and, and insurers who try to cover 
our test, uh, you know, agree to pay for our test, they look at the peer-reviewed evidence that we have. And that's something Pacific Edge has done a good job of historically um, and, and continues to focus on. That is just, man, you must have to have patience of a saint, though, and, you know, to be, I guess the outcome's massive and the outcome's so fantastic, but that, that journey to get there. It's it's usually something that you know we can measure along the way. Um, in a we can't measure the outcomes along the way, but we can certainly see. Hey, look, you know we enrolled eleven patients last week. That's really great pros, progress. This site over on the east coast is doing a great job of enrolling patients. Right. Uh, what have they learned, or what are they doing well that we can tell the other sites um, so that we can manage our studies better? So there's a lot of day to day, I guess, victories that make yeah. it feel like you know we're uh, moving in the right direction, um, and that's why. Even though they do take a long time, about halfway through, we can usually be uh, oh, cool. pretty certain that we're on track or, or how we might need to, to, to make some changes. So you get, get ongoing result. success factors. So it's not sort of like you get to the end of five years and you're like, oh, damn, that wasn't kind of working. That's right. It's, it's not like putting, you know, um, everything you have in your pockets on black at the, <laughs> at the casino. Like, there's, there's definitely a method behind everything. Awesome. Um, and, and so it's very systematic. Brilliant. So it seems like... Um, Investors in New Zealand have been taking notice of, of Pacific Edge for sure, and and hopefully they continue to, to take a look at the company and, and learn about it. We believe we're on an, uh, a very important mission um, to help patients in need, um, and a lot of investors, uh, you know, invest just to make a buck. Um, but pretty much all of our investors um, have uh, a set of values yeah. um, that drive them to invest in certain companies, and we do get a lot of interest from people who recognize the social component of what we do um, and the good that we can do um, if we're successful. Um, and we really, really appreciate, um, and we appreciate all of our investors, um, but uh, ones that, uh, that have that emphasis on social investing uh, appreciate specifically for that purpose. It's very cool. Just the change you guys can, can generate from what you're doing is, uh, is an awesome, awesome uh, goal to have. And that's, I'm sure, attracts a lot of investors. So thank you for being here. We, we do have a couple... I just uh, want to ask one more thing. Sorry. So fast forward 10 years and you were, imagine you're having a conversation with yourself, back to yourself. What is success? Like what are three things that you know that you've hit success? Um, well, uh, maybe I'll answer with a bit of a joke first, but yeah, hopefully I don't have to wait 10 years to be able to determine, uh, you know, some level of success. Good point. Yep. But, um, you know, looking back on, on a period of 10 years, um, it will be, uh, establishing uh, commercial operations in more geographies than where awesome. we currently operate. It'll be having having built a company that can operate profitably but chooses to use those profits to drive um, ongoing investment and ongoing um, value for the company. Brilliant. Um, and ultimately, you know, moving beyond the, the current scope of products to, to new areas. So that's um, those are all things that I'd like to achieve in the next 10 years. Very super cool. Very cool. We have a few random questions for you just to kind of um, uh, get to know you a little bit more. What are, what are your favorite um, types of books you read? Anything that jumps out at you as a, a, a favorite book right now? Various Malcolm Gladwell books yeah. um, and, uh, and Freakonomics books. Those are the kinds of things that, I, that I've enjoyed reading. But also read a book about uh, called The One Thing, which is about focus and prioritization. Um, and I've given that out a couple of times to, to my team. Um, since joining the company, uh, because you know you can have all the right people, all the right strategy, but if you get out of bed in the morning, and you aren't focused on the thing that's going to deliver value that day. Um, it it'll take you longer than you want to to be successful. Yeah. So, um, trying to trying to help my team uh, focus on what is important on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go nerdy here. So thinking about science, 
If you had to eat alternative foods, you couldn't have like a steak from the shop. Would you rather have plant-based or would you rather have cellular? So as in as in a steak that was grown from cells? Yeah, um, or, plant-based. or plant-based. So I, I've, I've had the latter um, and some of them are quite good. Uh, some of them have a slightly odd odor when you, when you barbecue them. Yep. Um, but uh, the good ones don't and I like those. I have not actually eaten cellular meat. Um, would even you though, be happy to? Uh, I would. Um, I'd, I'd try anything once. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so, uh, I'd probably only be able to give you an informed answer after that. Um, but plant-based ones are are delicious, and 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 I would often have friends over and, and grill those. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. Any inspirational quotes that you that you will pass along, or that you have followed in your in your in your life? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far go together nice. and I believe it's actually an, an African mm. proverb originally um, and and it's one that I, I think you know it carries a lot of meaning for me uh, and it's about building alliances among your executive team making sure that they have strong bonds with the people who report to them yeah. um, because we we are here we know it's going to take a long time and we kind of covered that in yeah, some of the other yeah. areas about the importance of long-term thinking yeah so it is about going together yeah. Very cool brilliant and if there was one person you could have a beer with who would that be uh, probably President Obama Cool. If you could teach me how to shoot hoops, that would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love basketball, but I'm not as good as he is. Yeah. Uh, well, Pete, thank you very much. It's been awesome. I'm great to, to chat with you and learn more about Pacific Edge and yourself and your background. And again, just really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come up here and speak with us. So and, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing for families in New Zealand and around the world, because this is really important to many and you're saving lives. So this is really cool. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX, and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute, or reproduce the content, or use it to create other works.